0: We are moving uh, slowly, as usual, through a book of the Bible. This one is Titus. We are in Titus chapter 2. This is part 6, so there are five other messages concerning this. There will be a few more. We won't finish today either. So, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you're using one of those blue church Bibles, it would be page 998, 998 in that Bible. This section of Titus, and again, you've heard me say this in a number of ways, but I just want to keep repeating it so that we're all on the same page as we're looking at this section. This section of Titus lays out conduct that is fitting or suitable for both men and women in various phases and circumstances of life who profess to follow Christ. Paul's concern that stands behind this section, it's important that you understand this as we're reading this section, is that unbelievers would not be given a reason to think badly or wrongly about the gospel or the Christian faith because of deplorable behavior by Christians, but instead be drawn to the gospel through the true beauty and power of the Christian faith seen in the commendable conduct of God's gospel-believing, Christ-following people. This is really about how our personal Christian conduct impacts the advancement of the gospel. It can either hinder it, or it can cause it to even excel at a greater level, or I should say to the degree that God wants it to excel. So, a question, or questions to ask yourself as we keep going through this text are, how does my life, conduct, behavior testify to the goodness and transforming power of the gospel? That's a question for you. And, uh, and that is, I am assuming that you profess to believe the gospel. If you don't, then you need to come to Christ but I'm speaking right now to Christians, those who profess faith in Jesus, profess to follow him, profess to believe that gospel, how does your life demonstrate the beauty and power of that gospel? And I'm going to imagine that there are ways that you can answer that
1: and give glory to God for that.
0: In fact, I'm going to suggest something else. Try to... Identify that even in someone else that's close to you, all right? Try to identify how their life and conduct and behavior is testifying to the goodness and transforming power of the gospel, and then let them know. Tell them that. That's called encouragement, right? There's always plenty of critique to go around, but try that out for size on your, on your believing children on your believing spouse, on your believing brother and sister, in the Lord, or in your family. Start there. But another question might be, how can my life, or I would say not might, but should be, how can my life better testify to the incredible worth and value of knowing and following Christ? That's a question to ask yourself. How can it better testify? Lord, I see this work you've done so far. I see this work you've done in my loved ones. I give you glory, I give you praise, I give you thanks,
1: but how can it better testify?
0: And along with that, what areas of my life are not being brought under and changed for the better by the gospel, which is in part why we're doing this study called Respectable Sins. And if you're not involved in that study, might I just encourage you one more time to get involved, to get involved if at all possible and at minimum read the book by Jerry Bridges. We'll be meeting for the second time in the study. We're going to be meeting all year long Well, we break through the summer in this study. It's not too late to dive in. If you can't meet with us, the once a month meeting, so where we have fellowship and we discuss together and learn from one another in these matters, then at minimum... Pick up the book, a copy of it, and read it, because there are sins that we're not even sometimes aware of. We've just accepted in our lives. We tolerate them. And beloved, if we truly want to do everything that we can to demonstrate, and we should, demonstrate to the world the true power and glory that the gospel is, then we should want to root those things out of our lives as well. So that's all intro. We'll read the first five verses. It's a section, it's 10 verses, but we're just going to read the first five because we won't get any farther than that. We'll pick up where we left off. Beginning in verse 1, But as for you, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to his co-worker in the faith, his trusted partner in the gospel, Titus, who is there on the island of Crete, and attending to the things that Paul left him there to attend to, Concerning the churches, the local congregations of believers that were there on the island. Paul says, But as for you, Titus, in contrast to the false teachers that were creating all kinds of havoc in the church and teaching things they ought not to teach, ought not to teach but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded. May not be reviled. So last Sunday, it was my goal to, in one message, go over everything Paul said concerning the behavior of young women contained in verses four and five. But I failed, beloved. I failed. So today we come back to the matter. Aren't you happy, ladies? Aren't you happy? You didn't want to miss on anything that God would have to say to you, I'm sure. Absolutely. Who said that? Oh, Virginia? Thank you. I'm sure you speak for every woman here. A little review of what we've covered concerning the young women, because we really just had a few things just at the very end here that we couldn't get to. But through being a godly example and giving sound advice or instruction, the older Christian women in the church were to train the younger Christian women in the church, which in the cultural context would have been generally married women with children at home. They were to train them to love their husbands and children or to be devoted wives and mothers. If you weren't here last week, and there were quite a few of you missing, I would encourage you to go back and hear everything that was said concerning this, but this is just a very short, truncated uh, uh, section. I'm using it right now, just a quick review. So to love their husbands and children, or as I said, to be devoted wives and mothers, that is given to, dedicated to the spiritual, physical, and emotional good of their families. This is not, I'll say it again, this is not about training them to have loving feelings. How would you even do such a thing? You can't train someone to have feelings, but rather it was to, to train them to be lovers of their husbands and children, lovers, in the biblical sense of the word. One writer says this love involves unqualified devotedness. So it's not, you know, if uh, the the husband and the children don't have to do something in order for you to give this love, you are to just give it. It's unqualified. You don't do it to get something back. You don't do it because they deserve it. You do it because that is what God calls you to do as a wife and as a mother. Second, to be self-controlled. This is a review. Or sensible. Or sensible is a better word, I think, and how other Bible translations translate it. That is, train them, listen, train them to not act on a whim or according to their impulses, or be ruled and led about by their fluctuating emotions or the deceitful heart. So just contrary to what you hear in the culture, that is rejecting God, so I would expect it to be contrary. But instead, they are to always act in accordance with biblical wisdom, always giving careful thought to the consequence of any action and how God would want them to proceed or respond to their circumstances. That's sensible, biblically sensible. Train them to be that. Train them to be pure, to be morally pure in general. And in this context, it may include the idea of sexual purity or marital faithfulness. They are to give themselves to their man and him alone. To be working at home. Also translated, workers at home, busy at home, or, and I like this translation the best, to be fulfilling their duties at home. This would necessarily exclude one from being idle or entirely occupied by lesser things. By lesser things. The devoted wife and mother, as I said last week, and one writer said, finds her absorbing interest in the innumerable duties of the home. Train them, in other words, to be productive in the normal occupations of a wife or mother each day. Another writer says the point is not so much that a woman's place is in the home as that her responsibility is for the home. The home is a wife's special domain and always should be her highest priority. I said this last week, and this might rub some people the wrong way, but the writer said any woman who makes career status or financial advantage a higher priority in her life than the welfare of her marriage, children, or home transgresses Scripture as well as the signals of a heart sensitive to God's Spirit. I stand by that. I agree with that man. John, I didn't tell you this last week, but this is something else he said. He said, and I agree with him as well, one of the greatest pressures on young wives today is the saturation of our culture by the ungodly precepts of radical feminists who believe that wives being homebound is an egregious form of bondage by males from which all women need to be freed. Do you feel in bondage, honey? I mean, Ali works, but even when... I mean, this is so ridiculous. But listen, this is, they, this is what they say, and we live in this culture, so we might pick up these, this type of thinking without even realizing it. And our, our thinking and then our guts may not be in line with biblical truth. Through our lives, baby, you feel like you've been in bondage to me, my male dominance. <laughs> I He goes on to say they unequivocally insist that is, radical feminists, that women should be as free as men to work outside the home at whatever job and to whatever extent they want. Because they are not free unless they're able to do such things. Neglecting God's ordained role for the woman or women in the home. Pushing back against that. It's just a form of rebellion, folks. I said last week there would probably be certainly questions concerning what I said, and I'm not going to, I can't stand up here and possibly address every possibility in question. The point is for you as a couple to look at what God's word says and then work through that together in your own particular circumstances and financial situations and so on and so forth. I mean, I can imagine, I'll just say right now, listen, what are you saying? Because I, as I said last week, I'm not saying that, and I don't believe the text is saying this either, that a woman can't work outside the home. Certainly not. Demonstrated by what an excellent wife is portrayed to be in Proverbs. She did work outside the home, but it was always for the benefit of the home. And it was not to the degree that she couldn't care for her home. So someone might say, listen, you don't understand how difficult it is financially. I'm in a position where I have to work. My husband has to work. Okay, You need to work through this section of Scripture, right? I mean, does work, can the work, and I'm not going to work this all out for you, but I'm just going to give you some thoughts, right? Can you work in such a way where you can still give yourself, that that work supports the family, but you can still give yourself to the highest priority, which is your children and your husband? Can you do that? And is it in line with your husband's desire for you, which we'll get to in a second? If not, and you're stuck in a position, are you working to get out of that position? See, so this is like I hear this, right? People get into uh, financial debt really bad, and then they they come to me and they go, "I would love to give to the church, but I can't because I'm in over my head." And so you won't hear me tell them, "Well, just believe, brother." You know, just believe on God, and you just go ahead and go further into debt. You know we accept credit cards, right? Why don't you put it on your credit card and give, give, give to the church, because God will bless you tenfold. You will not hear me say that. You will not hear me say that. I will, I will say that's unfortunate that you're in that position. Okay, now what are you doing to change that? And that may take some time. But are you doing anything to change that? So I say the same thing. People get themselves into positions, or maybe they've made some bad decisions, or maybe some tough things have happened to them. Okay, but what is God's design for your family? What does he desire for you? Are you striving for that? Or are you like, "Eh, I don't even care, or I'm pushing back against it. I don't think that that should be the case for our family. I'm the exception. You are not. I'm not, you're not. If you're a Christian, you are under him. And why wouldn't you want to be? Well, because you're stupid like I am when we, listen, when we embrace sin instead of his righteousness. I can talk with you that way because we all love each other. No, I mean, is that not true? Sin makes us stupid, guys. I've said that before. makes me stupid when I give. It makes us dumb. We injure ourselves. That's what sin looks to do, ruin us. I'm just tired of seeing people get ruined. They don't need to be. God has given us his wisdom. He's given us instruction. He loves us. You have any doubt that he loves us? Just look to the cross, beloved. So, and then I would say for some people, move. If California is too expensive for you, because this, this state is dumb. On a number of levels, and getting dumber by the day. I think that's all I can say, and still maintain my 501c3. So we'll leave it at that. Um, but listen, it's expensive. It's very expensive here. So if you, you know, if you didn't get a college degree, and then it's harder for you to get a higher paying job. I get all of that. I get it. I get it. You got to work that out, beloved. But for some people, the right choice might be moving. I mean, I'm, like, I'm not asking you to move. I'm just saying for you to align yourself with God's will, it could be. Moving to a state that's more affordable, where you can actually achieve these things. And, and I think, and I'll say this, you need to think bigger. Satan, not that he's like in your house, but he has a plan. His plan is to hurt you. His plan is to harm you. His plan is to hurt God. He pushes back in every way he can against God's will. One of those ways, now I'm not speaking here, I'm just telling you what I think, is in economics. It's in economics. If he can make it so difficult. I I hear stories of husbands and wives where they never even see each other one works during the day and then as he's coming home she's leaving it works for them as far as childcare right and so they work it all out so she's watching him during the day right these are real stories right but then she leaves they're so exhausted they're so tired it's almost impo- how is she supposed to give herself to these other things how she's completely consumed in this other thing They're just trying to survive. So I say, that's tragic. It has all kinds of implications for their family life, for their marriage, for their children. Push back against it. Develop a plan to get out of that. You don't understand, Jeremy. I can't do it in California. Then leave. Did you consider, maybe, I'm not, you know, again, I'm not commanding you. I'm saying, did you even consider that as a possibility? Or maybe husband has to work two jobs. Did you ever consider that? He already does. Okay, maybe three. I don't know. There's a limit. No, there's a limit. There's a limit. But these, those kind of things are not, it's as if I'm a victim of my circumstances. There's nothing I can do. And just generally saying, speaking, that is not the case. You just aren't, you aren't pressing harder. You've given up too easy. If this is God's will for you, and it is, wife, husband, family, then it is the very best for you, and you need to fight hard to achieve it regardless of your circumstances, push back. Pray. Ask God for help. You think he's going to abandon you? No way. He'll open doors. He'll make things happen. They may not happen overnight. It may take a year. It may take two years, but press. Okay. To be kind. That was the uh, other conduct behavior. By the way, I know I get no support from the culture, and that's okay. So if you go out of here, and you, you're going to hear just the opposite of what I'm telling you, you know, concerning the household, you're going to hear the opposite in our culture, right? You're going to hear the opposite. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to say what I believe the scriptures say, and, and that should be your thing too. You should say, I don't care. I just want to align myself with this book. I don't care what my culture is doing. There'll be times where it aligns itself with this. There'll be times where it doesn't. It doesn't matter. That's not our guide. It shouldn't be. Our guide is this. Yeah? It should be. But again, we get confused. I get it. I get it. So I want to encourage you to be kind. So I said, in light of the nagging demands of mundane and routine household duty, duties, the wife must resist the temptation to become irritable and harsh with members of her household. Real temptation. Can be, right? But remember to continually cultivate the virtue of being kind, benevolent, heartily doing, as one writer says, what is good and beneficial to others, especially those of our household. (laughs) Here we go. You ready? We're almost done with it. And then we'll move on to the young men. He only says one thing to them, by the way. (laughs) We'll get to that. We'll get to that. (laughs) Verse 4, looking back at the text. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. If you had trouble with working at home, you might have trouble with this one as well. Because this is framed as just another one of those suppression by my gender, you know? Suppressing women, trying to keep them under our foot. That's what the culture will tell you. That's what the radical feminists will tell you. John MacArthur says, no biblical standard is more viciously attacked today than the God-ordained role of women in society. He's right.
1: First, This instruction
0: is not, it is not the product of Paul's culture. That's what some suggest. And what do I mean by that? Well, his culture was patriarchal. Okay? So, patriarchy. One definition of that is a social system in which males hold primary power, and predominant in roles of political leadership, moral authority, social privilege, and control of property. Yeah, that's it. Was that you couldn't? If you were a woman in the first century, you couldn't own property. You didn't have positions of power. Okay, so some try to suggest that all you have here is just Paul, who's a product of his culture and he wants to make sure that they align themselves with that culture because he just grew up in that so he thinks that's the right way to do things but uh, he didn't have a good radical feminist by his side to tell him how things ought to be and therefore that's that we can disregard with it. You just disregard this because he wasn't really enlightened to how men male female relationships should really work themselves out especially in the home and certainly it shouldn't include anything about submission This is not instruction flowing out of Paul's culture. I'll prove that. I'm going to prove that to you biblically. Okay? I'm going to prove that to you biblically. But I hear the same stuff. Those are traditional values, you know? Old, fogey, stuck, what is it? Outdated, antiquated. You know, those are the values of our parents. They're stuck in the '50s. Uh, hello, this is a first-century instruction, so I'm not sure this has anything to do with the '50s. Okay, so that doesn't even make sense. And then, of course, this one. And Thomas and I joke about this all the time. They'll say something like, "This is 2019." Don't you? Does anybody know this is 2019? What does that have to do with anything? When it was 2018, they said, this is 2018. Doesn't anybody know it's 2018? <laughs> oh, yeah, it is 2000. It's actually 2019. And what's that have to do with God's eternal truth? That doesn't care what year it is. What are you talking about? But this is the stuff we, listen, you and I both live in this stuff. And it just comes and it soaks in without us even, if we're not careful, not paying attention. I would say it just does. And so we have to continually keep writing our minds and therefore outflowing out of that our hearts so that they're in line with God's word. Otherwise, we're going to get ourselves into trouble and have and have. Here's my proof for this is not this specific command about submission. It has nothing to do with culture. It has to do with God. It's how God set it up. Ephesians 5 There Paul says the same thing. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And now we have the purpose statement, because that is what a wife is expected to do in our culture. What does it say? The four is, and this is why. Here's why I'm telling you this. And Paul sets down a principle that would be true in any year, in any culture, in any place on the globe. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ, this takes it up a notch, is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior, Beloved, let me ask you a question. Who is the ultimate authority over the church? Christ. Who are we to submit to?
1: Do you see what's going on here? Now, as the church submits to
0: Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I find it interesting that people try to push back against this, maybe say it's a, even that, try to somehow say it's part of the culture. Clearly it's not. This is a principle. It's based on this. This is how God has set up humanity. He has set up a husband and wife, the family. The family is not culture's idea. It's God's creation. Marriage is God's. He started it, not a culture. So he makes the rules concerning it. But I just find it fascinating because, you know, a few verses later in Ephesians 6 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I don't see anybody fussing about that one. <laughs> Timeless. Ah. You know, I I could see a child saying, hey, mom, dad, did you hear about the new UN resolution on the rights of a child? No, I'm not kidding. Now, this is real stuff. I'm not going to, but that I have the right
1: to push back against your authority.
0: It's 2019 after all, don't you know, mom and dad? (laughs) And of course, you would, being a good Christian mom and dad, you're like, listen, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. You want a long life? Because that's what the text said. I mean the text actually says that. You read a little bit further. It's right for you. You need to understand that God has set up authorities and submission to those authorities. And this is God's design, child, and you teach them that, right? Oh, but I see, when it comes to the husband and wife, it's something different. I see. No, it's not. Sometime back I preached your first Peter. Peter also makes the same statement concerning wives in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. If you did not hear it and you would like to, and sometimes it's a little bit hard to find stuff online, it could be hard on our website, Uh, quickly. It's called A Word to Christian Wives. A Word to Christian Wives. It was a (laughs) two-parter, go figure, Uh, part 1 and 2. I did better back then. I only did like two-parters back then. I'm getting out of control now. And so uh, I went back and I I decided, you know, why why try to come up with everything again? I just went back to that message. That's the the good part of preaching for a while. You have stuff that you can draw from your bank. So I went back to that section to borrow from my notes on that message. And interestingly enough, there is an important connection between what Peter says and what Paul says concerning the evangelistic component of our behavior. Interesting, huh? Well, it is. I find it interesting, and I'll point it out to you. But Let me just say a few things that I said from that sermon, and I'm going to add a little bit more, concerning a wife's submission to her husband and the command for her to do that from God, from God. It's a command from God. The verb translated submissive, or submit, depending on, like in 1 Peter, it's, or be subject, submit, submissive it always implies a relationship of submission to an authority, to an authority, to an authority, okay? So who's, if, if the wife is called to submit to the husband, it is because he is the authority in the home. That's the idea. It was used outside of the New Testament, this word, to describe the submission or obedience of soldiers in an army to those of higher rank, you get the picture? There's someone who's in charge here. And the person in charge ultimately is responsible, ultimately calls the shots, and the shots that he or she calls, depending, is to be heeded by those under that authority. Yeah? Okay. So one writer says, to operate effectively, the home, like every human institution, must have a head, that's what we just looked at, Ephesians 5, one who is the final authority in the home. God assigned that position to husbands. If you don't like that wife, take that up with God. But let me say something different, okay? Because that's kind of like, You need to train your heart to think or feel rightly about it. Who is the one telling you this? It's God, your Savior. Your Father. Loving
1: and good Father. Why
0: would you take, what you should do is go, if you're pushing back against it, why am I pushing back against this? This is foolishness. I have drank too much of this world or I'm giving into my rebellious flesh or something along that line. That is why I would push back. In my right mind, thinking rightly about God, rightly about his word, I would embrace all that he says concerning how I am to be as a wife, as a mother, as a human being. Young women are not to be trained to, I would say this also, submit to husbands or men generally. Rather, the Christian wife is called to submit to her own husband. That's there in the text, both in Peter and in Paul. To her own husband. Train them to be submissive to their own husbands. Not just men generally. That's the protective feature. She comes under one, the one she's made a covenant with, and has been charged with protecting her by God. She doesn't answer to any other man, nor should she. Another writer says, the submission is not the husband's to command, but for the wife to willingly and lovingly offer. I want to help you out, husbands, because you need it. I speak as a husband. We need it, Collectively. The submission is not the husband's to command, but for the wife to willingly and lovingly offer. You want to get yourself into trouble, men?
1: Because
0: we seem to want to. Try forcing this on her. I mean, at best, try manipulating her. Try threatening her. Try, I don't know, throwing a tantrum. I don't know. Whatever it is you think will try telling her you said so. <laughs> good luck with that. I mean, good luck. Good luck with all that. In At best you will get, if it is not, like with any command of God, what God is looking for is a heart surrendered to him in love for him and loving him wanting to do this and maybe struggling with it and praying for help and all the things that God calls us to do because we're fighting against our flesh, fighting against old thinking, fighting against... The thing we're supposed to do, because it sometimes is very difficult, can be difficult. People make it more difficult than it needs to be. Like maybe your husband making it more difficult than it even needs to be, unnecessarily so. Right? But praying and saying, I, that's what you want. A wife praying and desiring to do this and does it from a heart in the right place. Serving God, not because she's afraid, not because she's negotiating with you. Well, if I do this, then I get this. That's not, what is
1: that? That's the world. Not
0: because she's terrified or just you've worn her out. Right? What you want, husbands, is a wife that is serving God with her heart and fulfilling the commands God has given to her because she wants to. And then that's beautiful the other thing is not. You might get it, and you're like, yeah, that's right. I put her in line. Okay, dude, you're dead. You are dead, and th- th- she will get you some other way. <laughs> she will get you, and that home, that home really doesn't have peace. There's no peace there, not really. It's a pseudo peace at best, but it's, it's not really beautiful. There's something wrong, and you know it. One writer says, God never tells husbands to get their wives to submit to them. A husband who focuses on his authority is out of line. Not once is there a command to husbands to get their wives into submission. You'll notice that. Even in this case, who's training the younger women? The older women. Not once is there a command to husbands to get their wives. A husband who suppresses, restricts, or puts down his wife is not exercising proper authority. I mean, he's forgotten his role then. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. He just forgot that. Now, I pulled these couple of quotes from last time and I wanted to share them with you because I thought they're helpful as we think about, as a wife thinks about submission, thinks about uh, the marriage. One writer says this, I really like this, by Grudem what submission in a healthy marriage might look like. He says this submission to a husband's authority within a healthy marriage might not often involve obeying commands. I'll come back to that in a second, though it will sometimes include this. You see it said, might not often, right? For a husband, if he has brains, may rather give request and seek advice and discussion about the course of action to be followed. I think a lot of it would be done like that. It doesn't mean everything's done like that, but a lot of it would be done like that because, listen... Think about who this is. We're not talking about a soldier under me. She's not my soldier. She's my wife. She's the love of my life. She's my partner through and through. I have made a covenant with her to love her and care for her. She is my help given to me by God. I would be a fool to treat her like a soldier or a
1: maid or a housekeeper. Nevertheless,
0: in attitude of submission to a husband's authority, women, wives, will be reflected in numerous words and actions each day which reflect deference to his leadership and acknowledgement of his final responsibility. It's on him, after discussion has occurred where possible, to make Decisions affecting the whole family. God has put it on him. He's responsible. And if he's responsible, he needs to have authority. And so he does, given to him by God, wives recognize it. Stop pushing back against it. thats I'm not speaking to you directly. I'm just saying, I'm speaking over you right now. But maybe God is speaking to you. Maybe. I don't know. Now, I read that And I agree with it, and then I thought commands, and I was trying to, I wanted to test it with her. (laughs) No, 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 I didn't want to (laughs) test, no. I wanted to, all right, let's try this out. No, I said, sweetie, I'm trying to think, commands, how often have I commanded you through our almost 30 years of marriage now? Uh, And who knows in the first five, because they were horrible. They were, they were horrible. But since then, with every year, with God, it's gotten better. It's gotten glorious. Okay, so I said, "Honey, can you think of times I've commanded you?" <laughs> and so she, uh, so she recently was out of town, and uh, she said it was hard. First of all, to th- figure this out. By the way, I'm just going to say, I am the man of my house. I am the authority. Am I? Am I? Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm just. I for your sake. <laughs> Is that true, baby? <laughs> I am the... Daughter, okay, let's try something else, because maybe Allie's afraid. Daughter, you don't live with us? Daughter, am I the authority in my home? Okay. I am the authority. I don't apologize for it at all, okay? I don't apologize. This is how it works. So I ask, but I don't... Our general rule of thumb is I don't go around command. This is my woman. I don't command. I mean, they're my... So I tried to figure out, do I actually command you... She said, when we were on the phone, I had to step out, get something to eat, and she was uh, staying uh, out of state, and I said to her, all right, call me back, call me when you get back to your room. Now, she said, I said, yeah, I guess that was a command, and now, she said, okay, because that's just me wanting to make sure she got back, but I did, yes, call me, and I didn't like call me when you get back to your room, you hear me, woman? It wasn't like that. <laughs> I was like... Hey, sweetie, probably, there's usually all these fluttery things with it, because I love this woman. I love her. Hey, sweetie, call me. Okay, call me when you get back to your room. It's kind of like, you know, I just want to make sure you got back to your room. Okay. Now, she could have she pushed back against that. She could have said, what? Why? Or what, you don't trust me? Or why do I have to do that? Why do I have to check in with you? I can imagine all those kind of things happening. Now, if she would have done that, that would have been an interesting phone call. I'll tell you that much right now. <laughs> that would have been, fa- I would have got upset, probably. I probably would have got upset. What do you mean? You know, but anyway, it didn't go down like that. Sure, baby, I'll call you when I get back. And of course, she does. The only, the only other thing I've, she said, I said, what else? Is there anything else? I said, she goes, oh, yeah. You said, don't put grease down the garbage disposal. <laughs> hey, women, don't do it. I don't know why you do it. Nothing's supposed to go down the garbage disposal except water on it. So not all that stuff you throw in there because then it gets messed up and we got to fix it. Uh, And then the other one, she said, maybe you'd say, stop spending money. But that's kind of just my ongoing regular command. I just, on a consistent basis, have I said it like in a couple hours? No, stop spending money. So, uh, and then last night, I think she said, I go to sleep. That would be another command I give. But, But there might be, certainly. Listen, but what is it? It's more about the attitude of the wife. How's her response to such things, you know? And certainly, husbands, don't be stupid about this either. If you're just walking around like you're King Tut, you are not gonna get, you're not then you're failing to do your part, which is to love her. Now, she's still called to submit, regardless of your stupidity. She is. But you are making it unnecessarily difficult for her. So that's not, he, he's not being addressed, the husband's not being addressed. The wife is. But I'm just trying to help you husbands out. Don't do that. Don't make it unnecessarily difficult for your wives to fulfill God's will for their lives in the matter of submitting to you. Unnecessarily difficult. This is why there's a a command that goes with that to the husbands to love your wives as Christ loves the church. Because if both are fulfilling those commands, it really is a beautiful, synergistic, powerful thing. You encourage one another. It's much more easier. So it doesn't mean she's off the hook for submitting if I'm not doing these things or fulfilling my side of it, she's still on the hook. But it's going, she's going to be tempted in a way greater than she needs to be, already fighting her own flesh and the culture that she may have absorbed. She's gonna, it's going to be even more difficult when I'm a jerk. And I don't care for her. But if I, if I care for that woman, and she knows it, if she can trust me, that's another area. I don't want to submit... Like, I have a hard time with my government, because I don't, I, I'm just going to tell you, I don't trust them, okay? I'm still called to do it, so, uh, but I feel it. I feel it a lot, certain ways, you know what I'm saying? So, if I had a, listen, if Christ was ruling and reigning, as he will in the future, in his kingdom, there'd be no trust issues, baby, oh, yeah. Right? So see what I'm saying? So you're not perfect men, but you need, to, you need to not keep getting in the way or tempting your wives in the same way. It goes both ways, but listen, don't tempt them to, and make it harder for them than it already is and realize it is hard for them. It can be because of their flesh and because of our culture and, and maybe because of you. I'm just looking to offend anybody I can today. Um, So here's that piece I wanted to tell you about. Uh, The connection, check this out, it's really cool. In 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2, and it'll, thank you, brother. Likewise, wise, be subject or submissive to your own husband, same word used there, the I'm in Peter, so that even if some, here's this connecting thing, this evangelistic component that we also find in Paul. Even if some do not obey the word, what is he talking about? He's talking about a husband that rejects the Christian gospel, and he rejects the word. He's not saved. Even if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. This conduct that is right and good, which in the context is submission. To an unbelieving husband, which would be even harder. But there's this evangelistic component here. So the theme of our witness to a watching and unsaved world, it also underlies that section in 1 Peter, as it does in Titus. Here, in addressing wives and Peter and their submission to their husbands, Peter brings up the matter of a wife, as I said, having an unbelieving husband. So the unsaved world is in her home and speaks to the influence or impact that her godly conduct, specifically submission, can have on her unbelieving husband. But how might a wife's submission to her husband lead her unbelieving husband to embrace the gospel? And I gave you this quote when we were in 1 Peter. I found it so enlightening, so helpful. It's long, but it goes like this. The attractiveness of a wife's submissive behavior even to an unbelieving husband, suggests that God has inscribed the rightness and beauty of role distinctions in marriage on the hearts of all mankind. Such role distinctions include male leadership or headship in the family and female acceptance of and responsiveness to that leadership. Wait, someone might object that female submissiveness is attractive to the unbelieving husband only because he is selfishly interested in gaining power for himself or because it fits his cultural's current perception of appropriate male-female relationships. But in either case, so this position would argue, such role distinctions are still wrong or still incongruent or incompatible with God's ideal plan for marriage. So there would be, quote, feminist Christians professing Christ that would make these type of arguments. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's just a cultural working of the culture, or that's just, I don't, you know, so they would make these kind of arguments. Listen, however, the objection is unpersuasive. Because Peter would not encourage a sinful behavior pattern. Is that what you're saying he's doing? So he's saying he knows it's wrong, but do it anyway, because maybe the husband will like it? In the sense of he'll gain more power, because that's what this culture is all about. They just want to have power over the women. And so do this and you know go along to get along. So is that what Peter's doing? Peter would not encourage a sinful behavior pattern. If that's true and toss this thing out altogether. If that is true, if that's what Peter's doing, I'm done. Because I can't trust this thing then. But this is not that. This is the word of God, and it's God's word to us through these men. And so this is God saying this is how it is to be. It goes on, Peter would not encourage a sinful behavior pattern to continue in order to bring someone to faith. It is pure behavior, not sinfulness, that attracts unbelievers to Christ And this pure behavior, Peter says, especially involves wives being subject to their own husbands. And here's the last part. The unbelieving husband sees this behavior and deep within perceives the beauty of it. Within his heart, there is a witness that this is right. This is how God intended men and women to relate as husband and wife. He concludes, therefore, that the gospel which his wife believes must be true as well. That, okay, I, yes. So back to Paul, right? What is his concern? His concern is, listen, Cretans, you believe the gospel. You need to be instructed in that gospel, how you are to behave. You are to behave this way so that you don't hinder the work of the gospel, people looking at that going, oh my goodness, that produced that? Why would I want anything to do with that? Rather, they would see it and go, wow, that produced that? And they know, somehow they know, that's beautiful, they can see it. Drawn to it, that conduct that's produced from the gospel, they're drawn to the gospel. It's evangelistic. Let me. I'll just say this. There is nothing beautiful
1: about a wife wearing the pants in her family
0: and usurping the God ordained role of the husband. Now listen. There might be some out there that go, No, that is that is how it should look. And we may even make jokes about that. The woman wearing the pants, as if she's the head. I'm gonna tell you, that's not beautiful. Men, is that I'm gonna all right, men! Is that beautiful? Now you're all dead, but good. Women, it is not beautiful. And I think some of you would also understand that. And in fact, so I'm pushing a little bit. Since this is God's design, I'm convinced that women want and desire a man that will truly lead them and care for them and watch over them. Now, sin makes it all weird and screws things up, but that is what they desire. And so it's possible that you know they've had some bad experiences or the culture and also the enemy who's looking to undermine all of this is working to say, oh no, that's not what you want, women. That's not what you want. That's not what you need. You need freedom from men. You need to be in charge of your own destiny. Don't let him tell you what to do. Don't let him talk to you. Blah, 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 blah. That's not good for you, but I think they just push back against something inside that says, yeah, that is, they're pushing back against it. And maybe a culture can go so far down the drain that they don't even recognize the beauty of it anymore. Kind of like even the whole gender argument right now. There's nothing beautiful about a man being a woman or a woman being a man. There's nothing beautiful about that, folks. Now, our culture is confused, but I think they push back against their own conscience saying, that's not beautiful. And so they push back against it because they want to rebel against God. This is how I would picture it for you to help you see this why this is so beautiful and you can see, I'm going to give you this illustration a dance between a husband and a wife let's just say a man and a woman yeah they're doing some kind of some type of ballroom dancing i don't know which one but a really pretty one <laughs> and they're dancing you know what's beautiful and you know what's not it is beautiful when the man is a man, acts like a man, and leads his woman around that floor. And it is beautiful when his lady acts like a lady and gives herself to his leading. And you say, that is beautiful. Now imagine, as they would want you to, that the guy is trying to lead her, imagine, and she's resisting the leading is that going to be a beautiful dance? That's going to be stupid. And they're probably going to fall and be on the floor. It ain't going to look good. Right? I would also say, I would also say, it is not a man, what's really beautiful in these dances, just think it through with me. It's not a man who says, you better follow my lead or I will hurt you after this dance. Because then she's intimidated through the whole dance. It doesn't look right. She's not giving herself to him in his lead. So you want that woman to be in a place where she's willingly submitting in her love for God and therefore her love for him. And he, as he leads her, doesn't lead her in a harsh way, but he leads her with strength and he carries her and he flips her over and stuff like that. (laughs) And he does it smoothly and perfectly. And you watch that and you go, that is gorgeous. Imagine, imagine if the woman were to take the lead. You would say, what's going on? That's not attractive at all. I don't want to watch this. Do you see that?
1: It's with marriage. It
0: is beautiful. And I know the culture's pushing back against it, but listen, as God works in his people, he, as he's calling to himself, he opens their eyes, they see the beauty in this relationship as designed by God, as called for by God, and they are drawn to his beauty. They stand back and go, that is, I'm, something's missing. That's, that's something special about that. And so we close with four or five. It says, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. And here's the purpose clause that the word of God may not be reviled or dishonored or, as another translation puts it, so that the message of God may not be discredited or, as the, another translation puts it, so that no one will malign the word of God or speak about it in a critical matter. And so one writer says the concluding purpose clause apparently relates to all seven items It is the first expression of Paul's strong sense of a religious purpose behind these ethical demands. If Christian wives ignored these demands, the gospel would be maligned, criticized, and discredited by non-Christians. Do you see how those Christian wives and mothers behave? There's nothing beautiful about that. That's the idea. That's what Paul's concern is. That's why Paul's calling for this training. Listen, godly conduct attracts because it's beautiful and made in the image of God somewhere. If we haven't seared our conscience so far into the ground like many are doing quickly in our culture, we know intrinsically that's beautiful. That is how it's supposed to be. We know Two men are supposed to be dancing with each other, or two women. And we know that a woman and a man, that the man is to lead, that it would be weird if it was the other way around, and she is to surrender, and he's to care for her and love her and embrace her. We know that because God has created us. He's instilled it in us. So when we see it show up, we say, what's doing that? What's driving that? It's God. It's his gospel. It's his saving work in my life that now has broken the power of sin in my life that I might live as he has designed me to live. That's what you see. Embrace this God. Embrace this God. Embrace his gospel. But just as godly conduct attracts, ungodly conduct repels. It repels. It repels people from the very gospel we're, we're saying we believe and we want them to believe. Why would I want to believe that? Your life is ugly. You see? So we have a responsibility. Sharing the the gospel is is not just a word thing. It is that. It's including a message. But it's also demonstrating the power and beauty of that gospel in our changed lives, in conduct in line with God's word. That's what this is about. That's what this section is about. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Continue to do your work in us. We're so grateful. Father, we just want to give you praise for the work that you have done. It's you, Father. You're working in us, and we're so, so thankful. Father, We help us as we ask these questions of ourselves. How does my life testify to the glory and the beauty and the power of the gospel I profess to believe? How? How might it better? And are there areas of my life that I've just not even paid attention to or not opened the gospel to? Help us to do that, Father, by your spirit, by your grace, for your glory.
1: In Christ's name, amen.